Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Cobra Kai. I'm Jason Connell. And I'm Sal Rodriguez. All right, Sal. Here we are back for Season 3, Episode 3, entitled, Now You're Gonna Pay. Yeah, and you know what? I would say, I mean, there's so much to cover, so many episodes still, but this season I just find fascinating. I I find (laughs) Season 3 to be the most interesting season of them all so far. It is. It's a different thing altogether. That's for sure. It's all over the place. We're getting backstories we never got before. The characters have evolved. It is. It's a different thing, which is exciting for me and you because what will season four bring? Well, at this rate, you probably ghosts and UFOs. I mean, <laughs> it can go anywhere. I mean, I'm sure they're going to have the musical episode at some point. As I always say, whenever shows hit about the fifth season is when they do their musical episode, and I don't think Cobra Kai will be any different. So, look forward to seeing uh, Miguel and Sam break out in a love duet. That's amazing. That might make for a really good musical sound. <laughs> the it Karate would. Kid, the musical. I like that. So, this episode, like all others, was released on January 1st, 2021. And here we go, Sal. Guessing time. Go ahead and give me your thoughts on the IMDb rating of this episode. Well, it seems that this season has been hovering in the eights. I think last time was an 8.5. I think the one before that might have been an 8.3. So I'm going to guess it's in that range. I'm going to say right in the middle, 8.4. Close, 8.1. Oh, so it went down a little bit from the last one. Yeah, and these are going to fluctuate. This is still a relatively new season. It just came out this month. So you're going to see these numbers probably move around a little bit. But right now, it's the lowest of the three that we've covered. But uh, it could definitely make an uptick later. And who votes on that? Is that just users? This like IMDb pro users? Is that who that is? IMDb users, yes. Okay. So basically, anyone and everyone. Any and everyone, yes. So the synopsis for this episode is, Daniel's tarnished public image takes a toll on his sales, leading to a takeover offer. Johnny tries to raise money for Miguel's surgery. Kind of says it all right there, Sal. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds so disinteresting. I mean, this, this show is so <laughs> exciting, takes so many different turns. This episode is so exciting. And that synopsis, like, who writes these things? They, you know, give it a little bit of life, why don't they? Yeah, they're kind of vanilla on that, I got to admit. We didn't used to say these, but since we do it on Let's Talk Movies and the Karate Kid movies, we just made it part of our show. I do like it. I I do appreciate the synopsis up front. I think it kind of puts everyone on the same page, sort of a factory reset. And it's a low bar for us to hurdle right over. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, believe me, this show is going to be so much better than that synopsis (laughs) that you just heard. Fair enough. All right, here we go scene by scene through the episode. So we open at church with old school Cobra Kai Bobby, played by Ron Thomas. And he's talking about forgiveness. And Sal, while he goes on and talks to his congregation or parish or whatever you call them, who enters? I love that. Bobby's up there speaking to his flock. Yeah, that's a good word, flock. Yes. (laughs) And in walks a drunken Johnny right down the middle of the church Almost like a drunken groom walking up to the <laughs> altar at a, at a wedding. Exactly. And he is, he is a mess. He is unshaven. He, he looks like he hasn't showered in, in a few weeks. I think he's got a bottle literally in his hand. I mean, he is a mess. He really is. And I love how Johnny's referencing the past with him and Bobby and ex-Cobra Kyers. He says, forgiveness? What about those Reno soccer moms at the Hyatt? Oh, boy. You know, (laughs) last episode, we went back in time to see the origins of Crease in Vietnam. 
I want to go back to Reno and see what the hell happened at the Hyatt. Oh. That's what I want to go back to. God, me too. And Bobby's up there just like, oh my God, someone stopped this guy. He can't do anything about it. And this escalates into Drunken Johnny kind of hitting on people, part of the flock as well as he stumbles down the aisle. I think he winks at a blonde. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. <laughs> and she is not having it. She just turns right back to the front. So this escalates to Bobby having to come down off of his altar, if you will. And Sal, this is hilarious what ensues afterwards. Bobby puts his hands up in a prayer position and he says, forgive me, father. (laughs) I didn't see this. I did not see this happening. And he literally leg sweeps Johnny, dropping Johnny flat on his back. And then Bobby just kind of fixes his suit, fixes his tie, kind of recovering. And then we pan out from this giant church scene of a fantastic and hilarious scene. So good. Father, please forgive me. Leg sweep, very classic Cobra Kai. And right before that, I wanted to mention, Bobby is telling Johnny he's not a priest because priests have very different rules and they can't get married and this, that, and the other. So to that, Johnny says, ah, your wang can still get tang. Nice. Did he invent that then and there, or was that used in a previous episode or, or the movies? <laughs> I've never heard it before. Oh, okay, okay. It sounds like a Johnny-ism, yeah. if there ever was one. No, that's a, that's a great line. So, a great scene, and we quickly leave there, and now we're in jail. And unlike the jail from the last episode, Sal, this one is where Robbie's at, and what are the initials SJDC? I looked all over the web and couldn't find a jail that matched that. Well... I hate to break the news to you and our listeners, but I was a former juvenile delinquent. I believe that they are at what was formerly called Silmar Juvenile Detention Center. Okay. But is now called Barry J. Nidorf Juvenile Hall. All right. Good job. I couldn't find it. I kept finding other things that fit the acronym and they weren't accurate. So I'm glad you had that. Well, Jason, Jason, I have stayed there. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, you're yes. A, you're an alum. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, if you look closely, you can see my initials on a bunk right over Robbie's shoulder. Very nice. So back to Robbie. He is reading Lord of the Flies, great book, subpar movie. And while he does so, you see in the background three bullies led by Sean, who's kind of bigger, stronger looking uh, inmate, I guess you would call them, and they're picking on another inmate as Robbie oversees this. Yeah, a guy sitting at the table, looks like he's playing solitaire, minding his own business. And these guys come along and kick him off the table by smashing his face onto the table. So he steps up with a bloodied nose and Robbie asks, are you okay, man? And of course, Sean says to Robbie, what are you looking at, newbie? Yeah, you want to keep to yourself when you're a newbie. You know, there's so many rules you have to follow. One of the things that I was told, Jason, I'm sort of a make the best of a bad situation type of person. Yeah. So when I was at Silmar Juvenile Hall, I said, hey, while I'm here, might as well have a great time. So I'm walking around. I'm saying hello to people. I'm smiling until one guy said to me, hey, newbie. Yeah. One guy said, hey, you shouldn't be smiling. I guess smiling shows weakness. So you know what? I had to develop this scowl and unfortunately been with me to this day. So how did you get in there? Did you knock someone off of a banister with your sidekick? I was just an overall juvenile delinquent 
graffiti, truancies, and shoplifting. Uh, that's my resume for my under 18 experiences. Let's not get into what happened between 18 and 23. Let's not talk about that. Fair enough. So then Robbie gets a phone call. And of course, it's Daniel. But to this call, what does Robbie do? Oh, he's not having it. He hangs right up. As soon as he realizes it's Daniel, he just hangs right up. Yeah. And this show again with the wonderful cuts, we cut to Daniel at LaRusso Auto. He's got the phone in his hand of which Robbie just hung up on. Yeah. And Amanda walks over and she kind of tries to console Daniel. She says, look, Robbie will come around. And she references how she even hated Louie, but he's a decent salesman. And we look over, we see cousin Louie there. Yeah. And he's got a car buyer with him and he uses smooth talk to sell this lady. He even invokes the word, a word uh, often used by my own people, mamacita. He does use that, yes. He looks like a good salesman, Sal. He's working her over. He's got the charm. He knows the car inside and out. I was really impressed with his style. I was very excited to see in season three, the return of Louis. Very happy to see his character. I mean, you know, annoying for sure, but a wonderful acting job done by Brett Ernst. And also, he's proven his loyalty to the LaRussos. Absolutely. So, as they see Louis selling this car or trying to sell a car, out of nowhere, who comes in the front door? In walks Tom Cole, surprisingly accompanied by Anoush right next to him. And Tom comments on the lack of customers and even rags in their coffee maker. Like, you should have an espresso instead of a Keurig. No customers, no Nespresso. So he drops a bomb here. He wants to buy LaRusso Auto. Yes, he does. He even goes on to say that putting kids in comas doesn't help sales. Yeah. The brawl, the West Valley High brawl was horrible for business at LaRusso Auto Group. Tom is a competitor and he was up on this and he knew the sales were hurting over there. So he is making inquiries. And wants to take it over. Not just this one, I'm assuming, Sal. He wants the whole LaRusso Auto franchise. Yeah, he said he wants the whole shebang. So now we're at the hospital and Sam visits with Miguel. And, you know, there's this awkwardness and Miguel sharing about the surgery and the odds of it and how he's depressed and the cost of it. And Sam kind of shows her scar or he oversees it. So they're kind of doing this little dance because they haven't spent much time together in a while. But Sal, it slowly unfolds into a really beautiful scene. Yeah, it definitely starts off with some awkwardness. And are we led to believe that's the first time she's visited him? Was that moment? At least since he's been conscious. Wow. Okay. So yeah, very awkward moment, awkward energy. They kind of work through it. He apologizes uh, on behalf of Tori or apologizes for Tori. Yeah. She apologizes for all of this. She's just sorry this whole thing happened. And then she gives him a card. Oh, boy. And this card on the front of it, you octopi my thoughts. Oh, yeah. And then we have a flashback back to when they uh, chose the octopus at the arcade. They turn in the tickets, right? They get the octopus. Golf and stuff. That was golf and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very special moment showing some of their history and some of the love that they have for each other. Yes. It's great. There's an interesting moment within the scene that Miguel even sort of defends Tori and Sam comes back and says, everybody's got a sob story. It doesn't give you a right to be a bully. Well, you know, you have to compare these two girls' lives then if you're going to talk about that. Sam grew up with her parents 
and they have a nice home, a nice business in Encino. Tori, I think in Reseda, I mean, they don't say specifically Tori lives in Reseda, but I think let, let's just stick in that world. So there she has an apartment. She has to take care of her little brother. Her mother is sick. The father is obviously nowhere in the picture. So they do have a different life. They do have different upbringings. But try to tell a girl who just got almost got her ass kicked by a girl from Reseda that the girl from Reseda has household problems and she ain't having it. Exactly. To her point, it's no excuse to act the way she did. That said, everybody's at fault here. So it's not just a Tory issue. Everybody is part of this. And Sam, as you know, Sal, probably put a lot of this in motion. Yes, we talked about that on a previous episode of Let's Talk Cobra Kai, where I do believe Sam has to accept a lot of responsibility for this. Not all of it. Not all. No. no. Yeah. Sam has had her share of troubles that uh, are coming back now to haunt her. Absolutely. And then Hawk arrives and they have a quick little exchange. No love lost there with those two. Yeah. Well, Hawk says to her, you got some nerve coming here after what your boyfriend did to him. And she says, I just want to help. And he says, I'm pretty sure you've done enough princess. So there we go. People see her as this privileged princess. And Hawk, yeah. of course, delivers that line, princess. Yeah, like, what do you know? What do you know about the streets, princess? Exactly. So now Johnny shares with Bobby. So during this conversation, Sal, it's really touching. I mean, Bobby is a good man, a man of high character. And he gives Johnny some good advice. You know, this scene shows what a fantastic friend Bobby is. Yeah. An amazing friend. You don't see friends like this. They're sitting like, what is it? The podium, the yeah. altar, whatever we called it earlier. And and uh, they're eating coffee cake. And I like Johnny's line, I still don't understand how they get the coffee in the cake. <laughs> and you know what? I thought the same thing when I was young too. You know, yeah. when I was a teenager, I, th- I thought the same thing. And so they start to open up. Uh, Johnny opens up about Robbie, about Miguel. Uh, Johnny says he's not allowed to see Robbie, but that's when Bobby offers hey, maybe we can, I can help you. I'm a member of the clergy. We can get you in there. And then he even offers to make a donation to help Miguel's hospital bills. Holy cow. So um, yeah, very, very tender and touching moment between these two lifelong friends. Yeah. And I even like what Bobby says. He says, you don't do the right thing because it always works out. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Jason, you and I have had a similar conversation. I, I distinctly remember it was, it was off air I was telling you about some of my regrets from my youth. And you said something very similar, like, well, you know, you did the right thing. You took the moral high road. And so, uh, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I do agree it is better to do the right thing. Not always as fun, but better. I totally agree. And it was really touching that he laid this on his friend. And he means it. He's earnest about it. He wants to help his friend Johnny on both of these fronts, both with Robbie and Miguel. And he even gives him a little bit of advice, Sal. Yeah. He offers to Johnny or puts it in his head to go ask Sid, Johnny's stepdad. Go ask Sid. He's still loaded, isn't he? Yep. But Johnny rebukes the idea. He's like, no, he's, he doesn't want any of that. Uh, but you for know, now. He just, for now, for now. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're back at LaRusso Auto and Daniel and Amanda review Cole's offer. Now, let me just say, Sal, David Shatra. I hope I'm saying that correctly, does a fantastic job as Tom Cole. You know what? Yes, I completely, I thought the same thing in this episode. This guy does a great job down to the bleached white veneers and everything. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, he's he's like two steps away from one of these guys that has the out of season tans. Yeah. Great. Yeah. This actor, he does do a great job in this character. But he has an offer. Yeah. Tom Cole wants to buy the dealership. And he says, uh, Christmas came early, Danny boy. And Amanda says, this offer is hardly Christmas morning. This isn't even a belated Secretary's Day gift. And Tom says, they prefer executive assistant. And this is one of these fantastic Amanda reactions that I'm learning to love. Amanda says, oh, do they? That is a classic Amanda comeback. Retort, I should say. I'm usually not a fan of sarcasm, but I love her sarcastic reactions. I really do. I am a fan of sarcasm. So, (laughs) I'm at home with Amanda's quips. And I also like that Tom goes on to say, the valley has spoken. No one wants to do business with a bully. Yes. Yes. And just like in the last episode when the guy yelled out from the audience, I heard you were the real bully, LaRusso. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Daniel is having to face this idea that people think he's a bully. Yeah. What is this? So, Tom can't resist. He's just slimy to the core. Uh, Really is a good salesman. Probably a better used car salesman, I would say. Yeah. You know what? (laughs) It'll be interesting if they ever uh, go back into the life of Tom Cole. What what was a young Tom Cole like getting involved in the auto industry? Yeah. Being a sleek salesman. Probably not so different than a a young Louis. While this scene's going on, you have Louis and Anoush waiting outside. And Sal, this really reminds me of a scene from a gangster or crime movie where the henchmen wait outside for their bosses to work out the details. It's pretty funny to me. Yeah. And and kind of like in a Tarantino film where they kind of engage in just mundane small talk, like they mentioned the 99 cent store, which by the way, I take very personally because Louis says that he lives over at the 99 cent store, like (laughs) implying he lives near it. And that is on the corner of Lancashire and Whipple Street in North Hollywood. Louis says, that place sucks. You got to see the degenerates that come in and out of there. Louis, <laughs> you're talking about Sal Rodriguez, co-host of Let's Talk Cobra Kai. I go to that 99 cent store. Yes, you do, Sal. At that very 99 cent store that Louis is talking about, not long after I have, had completed the Six Feet Under television series, yeah. I watched the whole entire run. Not within two weeks was I in that 99 cent store and ran face to face into Alan Ball, creator, creator of Six Feet Under. Yes. So take that, Louie. Alan Ball shops there. Well, I was on set, season four finale, in which Alan Ball directed an episode of Six Feet Under and the show he created. Because, you know, they don't always direct every episode. Sure. And that is my one acting credit. I was an art show hipster in that scene of Claire's art show, and I'm in the scene. But I got to see Alan Ball at work, interact with the cast, and it was a highlight because at that time, Sal, it was my favorite show on television. Nice. Being a part, however small, of your favorite show is huge. Totally huge. So I can definitely appreciate your enthusiasm. And by the way, I want to see that episode. I still have not seen, you know, since since I knew you were in it, I have not seen it. So I definitely want to revisit that. I would love to see you. Are you holding wine? Are you wearing a, tur- a turtleneck? How does it look? I do have a glass of wine, apple juice, in my hand. I have spiky hair. I have my sunglasses on the front of my shirt, just kind of folded there. And I have a really cool hipster type shirt on. And Claire's going by and I'm really looking intently 
at a painting. And Claire walks by, nearly bumps into me, and I give her a like a raised eyebrow, like, hey, lady, I should have said something, Sal. I really thought about saying, hey, but then I thought I'd be thrown out of there by Alan Ball. So I kept my cool and just gave a good look instead. Nice. But you you made it on camera. You made it, you made it past the cutting room floor. Yes, I did. Somehow. Okay. I got to see I got that. lucky. I got to see that. So then Anoush goes on to share one big fact. And this is big because this puts a lot of things in motion. And Sal, take it away. This is huge. This is so huge because this is going to take us out of the area. Anoush shares with Louis how Tom Cole has signed an exclusive deal with the main distributor of Japanese cars, Doyona. Yep. So you got to be in with Doyona if you're going to be selling Japanese cars. Tom convinced the manufacturers to cut ties with LaRusso Auto. You know, he because, I, I bet you, because of all this bad blood yeah, going on with the school fight. I bet you Tom Cole went in and told these Japanese guys, hey, he's taking karate, you know, your heritage and smashing it to the ground. You don't want to be a part of this. And they're probably like, yeah, this, that guy's right. Well, Daniel kicks Tom out. Tom calls Anoush Farouch. He goes, come on, Farouch. And they get the hell out of there. Louis turns to Amanda and Daniel and says, guys, we got to talk. So he's going to tell them what Anoush just told him. Yep. And Sal, let me just say, I love my Doyona. I've had it for three years now. And it, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, I, I did go, I, I scoured the web. And by scoured, I mean Googled a couple times. There is no such thing as, as Doyona. It is just made up for the show. It is absolutely made up for the show, but it's a good name, Doyona. I believe it. Now we see a car wash fundraiser for Miguel. And Sal, Sam gives Miyagi-type instructions to some of the people. Yeah. Right circle, oh. left circle. Mm, <laughs> Classic. So fantastic. This guy is washing a car. Yeah, Sam <laughs> channels Miyagi straight to this guy at this charity car wash. I love how she interacts with Moon, who goes on to say that uh, she's a sex-positive feminist. Yeah, because Moon invited the cheerleading squad. Thank you, Moon. Moon invited the cheerleading squad to help bring in customers on this car wash. So it, it's not a bikini car wash, but you know they're wearing little cutoff shorts. It's uh, probably one of my favorite scenes of season three. Sal, I love, love, love how Chris ruins the moment for some guys who want to have the cheerleaders wash their car. This was so fantastic. And for you 90s rap fans, we all know Sir Mix-A-Lot, Baby Got Back. That's his most famous song. Well, but do, sure. you re do you remember Put Him on the Glass? No, I remember Buttermilk Biscuits. But... Okay. That might've been another Sir Mix-A-Lot. Put Him on the Glass. The music video has all these girls washing cars in bikinis and putting their uh, voluptuous breasts on the windshields of the car. Well, here comes Chris as a throwback to put him on the glass, putting his own uh, man boobs on the windshield. Hilarious. These guys in the car are like, what the hell? And then they hand $20 to, was it Nathaniel? Well, Nathaniel just takes it. <laughs> yeah. 20 bucks to have Chris wash your car. Uh, I'll oh, pass. Thank you. So funny. Everyone's repulsed in the SUV, but really funny. And now we cut to Hawk and Mitch on motorcycles, very reminiscent of the Cobra Kai's from The Karate Kid. And they're overseeing the fundraiser from afar, and they spot whom with the cash? Well, an easy target, Nathaniel. But before we go there, Jason, what happens to Hawk's hair in a helmet? 
That's what I'd like to know. Well, he takes the wig off. <laughs> is, is, that what, is that what you think it is? <laughs> no, I don't know. He must smash it down. It probably comes right back to attention as soon as he takes it out of the helmet. <laughs> that would be hilarious if he he's took the helmet off Boing! and the mohawk just shoots up. That would be hilarious. So yeah, these guys are on the motorcycles looking tough. They target Nathaniel. They see him taking money. Yep. And Mitch says, think they can get away with that? Hawk says, they're literally using Miguel as their poster child. So these guys are taking offense at the fact that these guys are having this car wash and have pictures of Miguel all over the place. Right. So now we're at Johnny's apartment and he's cleaned up. I mean, we've seen this before. He's shaving, he's cleaning himself up, he puts a suit on. This is not an uncommon thing for Johnny to do in a season. But then we quickly cut to an interview. And Sal, this is a great exchange, starting with his extensive computer experience, which is on his resume. Uh, yes, things are going pretty good. This guy, uh, the manager, the hiring guy, seems like a pretty cool, down-to-earth guy. Gonna give Johnny a chance. It, it appears to be maybe some sort of maintenance job, maybe some sort of custodian at some sort of office building. That's what it seemed right. like. So it almost seemed like they're about to shake hands and hire Johnny. But then this guy goes, well, uh, Mr. Lawrence, there is one thing here regarding prior arrests. Uh, you didn't fill that out. Well, may I just read off uh, Johnny's resume that he oh, then himself please. he himself shares with this gentleman, his prior arrests, public intoxication, assault and battery, willful destruction of property, and a year ago, assaulting a minor. Yeah, pretty sure once you say assaulting a minor, no one's going to hire you. Yeah. Well, technically, multiple minors, kids were real pricks, oh, is boy. what he says. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we and we see by the look of the manager's face, ah, this whole interview just went down the tubes. It did, but it's so funny because Johnny's just clueless, and he goes on to say, like, this feels good to talk about this. When do we start, boss? What's the plan? Yeah, it's almost like he should be consulting some sort of job coach to give him some prep. Our therapist. <laughs> oh, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Because yeah, Johnny Johnny was sharing his feelings with this guy, <laughs> some intimate details of his life. And yeah, he got that off his chest. You know, aside from the original Cobra Kai guys, Johnny doesn't really have any adult friends, right? Besides no. his old Bobby and the rest of the gang. Right. Much like Daniel. Daniel, we've said in other episodes, he doesn't really have any guys. He's got Amanda friends. though. Well... That's his wife. It's not. It's not a guy friend. I. I. I'm. A, I believe that. But that's his best friend. Who is Amanda? Amanda. Yes. Well, okay. We're gonna get to that. Remember what you just said, because I want to revisit what you just said in a few scenes from now. You'll see. Fair enough. So now we cut to the Dodge Caravan, and Johnny's upset. He's throwing his briefcase because he's still unemployed. I think it's hilarious that he's applying for these obviously blue collar type jobs. And yet he's wearing a shirt and tie and he's carrying a briefcase. What's in the briefcase? Your toolbox? Why do you have a, a briefcase if you're applying to be a custodian? So that's hilarious. So he picks up this uh, classified ads, which again, hilarity. We are here in this millennium and he's looking at classified ads in, in a paper. And most of the ads are blue collar manual labor type jobs. But one of the ads circled, I know you saw this, Jason, one of the ads that was circled, dancer, 18 to 30, circled with a question mark what 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 happened that caused him to circle this and put a question mark? I don't know what that was about, but I love that. Now we're back at jail and Robbie eats while Sam is on TV. Again, with the KVTL News 3, the story is victim's friend, car wash for West Valley High School student. 
Yeah, and I like this interaction with the reporter and Sam because Sam is saying, we've already raised over $1,000. Miyagi-Do is all about helping people. So Robbie's watching this from the juvenile hall facility. The reporter then asks, wasn't it a Miyagi-Do student who put Miguel Diaz in the hospital? And Sam says, that was an accident. At least I hope so. Yeah, and then she goes on to say, we love you, Miguel. Imagine being Robbie. He's in jail seeing Sam, his, I guess, ex-girlfriend, professing love for the guy who he put in the hospital. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. They all need therapists now, Sal. It's a lot of emotional weight to carry. You know who really needs a therapist? Sean, this bully that's going to come over. Oh, he sure does. (laughs) This guy needs some anger management. He was not hugged enough growing up. So he oversees this. He could tell by the expression on Robbie's face and the way he was intently watching the TV, he makes a connection. And he and his two thug friends come over and begin to bully Robbie. Can I just deliver some of Sean's lines, which I think are fantastic, uh, racially charged lines in a humorous vein, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. He says, he walks over, he says, that's your girl? I don't know. Sounds like vanilla's not her flavor no more. She got a taste for that horchata. Who knows? Thinking she may be drinking that dark roast next. And he points to himself. Shout out to horchata. That's pretty funny. But then Robbie Robbie stands up, says, how about you shut your mouth? Oh, I was surprised to hear that. Sean knows he knows karate. And then Robbie says karate is for self-defense. Although I don't think I would profess that when being attacked by three people, but this leads to what, Sal? Oh, huge fight. What is it? Three on one, right? Sean and his two minions against Robbie. Oh, boy. And and at first, Robbie's doing okay. He's doing okay. He's doing some blocks. I think he might have got a couple licks in here and there. But then, you know, three guys. Yeah. In fact, that's one thing I've always wondered. If you took like the best UFC fighter and like had like three average guys try to attack him, like Could even the best UFC fighter take on three separate guys at the same time? I don't know. I think so. Robbie is still young in his training. Okay. He's fought in a tournament. He's been training at Miyagi-Do where they don't do a lot of sparring. So I think he's just a very young fighter at this point in time. Well, Sean must read that. You know, when you are a predator, like Sean appears to be, when you are a predator, you can smell your victim. You can read them. You can smell them. And that's what Sean is doing. He's taking advantage of this kid who's in there under very unfortunate circumstances. I mean, you know, it's not just like Robbie stole a car and there he's in juvenile hall. I mean, this was a whole plethora of situations that that occurred that led him in there, leading to obviously Miguel in the hospital. So very sad circumstances that led Robbie there. Yes, indeed. So now we're at the old pawn shop, Sal. And I love Lyle. Because this guy has been in previous episodes with Johnny. So funny. He's played by Matt Borlingi. Hope I pronounced that one correctly. But he's fantastic. And apparently he has a few locations. And this one's in Winnetka. And Johnny was trying to avoid said Lyle. But here he is. And by the way, when he comes out, he's zipping up his pants. That was strange. I hope he was merely uh, relieving himself, taking a leak. I hope he wasn't doing anything else. But I do have to say this, Jason. You know I'm always a stickler for... uh, locations and uh, staying reality-based like the original Karate Kid. Oh, yeah. We both are. Okay. In this instance, this is supposed to be Winnetka, which is part of Los Angeles. Yes. Yes, The San Fernando Valley. 1354 is actually or was a pawn shop on Vine Street in Hollywood. So, they are legitimately in Los Angeles for this exterior. Very good. Love that. I do. 
I didn't look that up because I didn't want to be disappointed. <laughs> so I'm glad that you did. And good spot. And of course, he spots Johnny right away too. And he's like, you're bringing that box of junk back in here to sell it. So funny, Sal. This leads to a lot of funny back and forth. Yeah. And you know, pawn shops are, I think, inherently depressing because every item that you see got there due to unfortunate circumstances, somebody's down on their luck, maybe somebody's on drugs, maybe someone's in debt. Every item that you see on that shelf uh, does not have a pretty story behind it. So right away, just as soon as you, you show a pawn shop, you know that's probably not going to be a happy ending. So Lyle immediately spots the laptop that Johnny purchased from him. And let's not forget that Lyle gave him tech support over the phone with said laptop when Johnny couldn't get it on Wi-Fi. Well, this leads to a funny exchange in which I guess Johnny's computer finally died because he never plugged it in. Yeah, well, this guy told Johnny that the computer was wireless. So I think Johnny just thought that meant power supply instead of wireless internet. And the guy's about to explain that. He goes, no, I meant anyway. And he just moves on. He's not even going to bother explaining to this guy who in his head is just a clueless guy down on his luck. Are we led to believe that battery is that powerful to work for that many days and months in which Johnny could learn the internet, see Miyagi-Do on there, change the Netflix launch date for season three, all of these wonderful things with this one plug-in? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the magic, the magic <laughs> okay. of filmmaking. <laughs> that's one hell of a battery. Get that laptop. So now Johnny's getting desperate and he says, uh, how about I got a car, a 1993 Dodge Caravan. And this guy just being a dick, starts looking in the Kelly Blue Book. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Ooh. Oh, cloth interior. Yeah. <laughs> Tape deck. Tape deck. Yeah. This guy says it's worthless and basically throws Johnny out of the store. He goes, it's worth nothing. Get out of my store. And this is where, this is a foreshadow to what's to come. Yes. Because Johnny says, I don't own anything valuable. Yep. And this guy says, then I guess you better find someone who does. Bing. Oh. As Johnny leaves the store, he's actually wincing, I think, thinking about what he may have to do. Yeah, because Bobby put the idea in his head initially, and then now Lyle just drove it home. So now back at LaRusso Auto, and Louie and Amanda are pouring an 18-year Macallan and having a toast. Yes, and you know, a bottle like that usually would be reserved for celebrations because to our listeners and myself, I had to learn. This McKellen averages for a 750 milliliter bottle, $250. Whew. That's an expensive whiskey. Yes, it is. And this is more like a wake. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they are depressed. They're celebrating what was and what might not continue to be. And then Daniel comes in, also pours himself a glass. And he goes on to share the fact that Anoush was telling the truth. Yeah. And then he offers a what I would call a heartwarming tale of how LaRusso Auto began. He they go back in time, they show the station wagon from the original karate kid where they had the jump started. Yeah. And then he talks about how excited he was when Mr. Miyagi gave him his first car, the nineteen forty seven Ford Super Deluxe. Yes. And he says, That was the best day of my life. Now here's what I was referring to earlier. That was also his birthday that day. Oh, okay, yes, yes, yes. But when Daniel says, that was the best day of my life. Really, Daniel, not marrying Amanda. Nope. Not having Anthony. Nope. Not having Sam. Nope. It was when Miyagi gave you your car. Hey, I'm on board with you, but Amanda's right there. I wonder what she's thinking. 
Yeah, probably should have said that's the best day of my youth. That would have been good. Covered that up. He also says that Mr. Miyagi pushed him into sales. Yes. What a wonderful little nugget. A wonderful little, little, little tidbit there. Wow. Mr. Miyagi pushed Daniel into sales. Amazing. That's so great. And I wanted to mention before that, though, that Louis does mention that maybe we should pay Cole a visit, show him a little Jersey justice. Yes. But unfortunately, Amanda, I say unfortunately, like, what am I looking for? Uh, Amanda puts that to rest. She, she does not want to have any of that. She goes, oh, what? So you and your motorcycle gang can get your ass kicked again like you did last time? And Louis is like, I thought we weren't going to talk about that again. So yeah, pretty funny. So then Daniel goes on to share some more nuggets from Mr. Miyagi. Well, the one takeaway, Mr. Miyagi pushed him into sales because Mr. Miyagi felt that that was Daniel's passion, particularly cars. Yep. Mr. Miyagi says, always follow passion. Man who works for passion, always richer than man who works for money. Yes. Oh boy, a lesson for us all. Mr. Miyagi never stops teaching. Even as he's passed on, there's so many nuggets we can learn from Mr. Miyagi. I love that this show does this. I can't even tell you how excited that makes me feel. Like, wow, we never saw that. But yeah, this is right in his wheelhouse. He would definitely encourage Daniel as he grew up to do these things and to follow passions and keep steering Daniel on the right path. So, oh, wow. So good, Sal. Well, Jason, you and I may be convinced, but you know who wasn't convinced? Amanda. Because Amanda says, if we don't sell to coal, we might end up with nothing. So unfortunately, she just kind of thinks that their backs are up against the wall. She doesn't know what else they are to do. So I think, I mean, I totally get where she's coming from. But yeah, she's like, we better sell or we're not going to have anything. That's right. And then as Amanda and Louie go to finish the inventory, there's another flashback. As Daniel looks at a bonsai tree that's in the showroom. We go back in time to that wonderful scene where him and Miyagi are working on the trees. And Sal, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Very great scene on focusing and concentrating. See only the tree. Nothing in the world matters, only the tree. So this helps to center and focus Daniel. And then he opens up his eyes and you can see there's a light bulb. Yes. He's got an idea. Yeah. And now we're back in jail and Robbie enters the room. And here we are. There's Sean again and his two buddies. And he takes what from Robbie? Well, to use the a prison term, he jacked him for his pillow. He says, you don't mind, do you? Thought so, soft ass bitch. So Sean is essentially punking and jacking that's the next level, by the way, in the, in the prison world, in the juvenile detention world. Kick someone's ass, start taking their shit, and they are your punk bitch. That's the way it works. Mm, and that's okay. why I never want to go back. Okay. Were you a Sean in prison or were you a Robbie? You know what? I just try to stay in my own <laughs> room. I, I, somehow I had my own room. You know, these guys are all sort of in a common room. Yeah. Somehow I had my own room at Silmar Juvenile Hall, and I do not remember why. Wow. That's a good thing you had your own room. So then the guard comes in, of course, always after the aftermath. You know, when he gets dropped, no guards, but when nothing's going on, the guard's there. And he tells Robbie what? Yeah. The officer comes in, visitation tomorrow, mentions Robbie's name. Robbie asks, who's visiting? The officer says, Lawrence John. So Johnny Lawrence is visiting his son, Robbie, 
in Silmar Juvenile Hall. So now we cut to Johnny's childhood home. And Sal, a little foreshadowing as Johnny enters and you see this art piece in frame. Yeah, because we start on the exterior of the house and then now we're inside the house and yeah, we are tight shot on this piece of art. And at the moment, you don't really think anything of it. It's like, oh, a piece of art, great. It goes with the rest of the house. I found interesting this old butler. Who the hell has an old butler? Are people at Encino still having butlers? That's news to me. Well, Sid Weinberg has a butler, played by Ed Asner, none other than the great Ed Asner. And he's reading the trades. I love this. And he goes on to say, gender pay gap. He's just such an old piece of work, this guy, Sal. Yeah, it's almost like his next line could be, listen, these women take whatever we decide to give them. This guy's old school chauvinist. But he's reading the Hollywood Reporter, Sal. And I looked closer. This was the issue from September 4th, 2019. Season of Scarlet was the name of it. Scarlett Johansson's on the cover. We finally have something to show our timeline. You and I know this, though. This was season three, filmed in 2019, supposed to come out in 2020. So that was very accurate. And also, so you tie it all together. I think we had deduced that Sid did work in entertainment, possibly, yep. what, a TV producer? I believe there's an Emmy on his desk. That's what it looks no, like. No, he ran a studio. Oh. Laramore okay. Studio, wasn't it? I think it was Laura Mar Studio. Okay, so he was a, a studio bigwig. That's who he was. And, and he yeah. still keeps tabs on what's going on. I, I would assume he's retired at this point, but he's reading The Hollywood Reporter just to kind of keep tabs on things. Yeah, and he's up on anything. In fact, as Johnny starts to discuss what he needs, Sid already knows about the karate thing. And he taunts him with it. How's that karate thing going? It didn't go under, didn't? Oh, boy. And then he says, your son and your student... Talk about a role model. I mean, he's just lobbing these insults oh at Johnny. Gosh. Just talk, talk about kicking Johnny when he's down. And then the worst, oh boy, any, any man can, can feel a dagger when he said this. You're a loser, just like your father. Holy cow. I got to give Johnny credit. He's standing there and taking this because he's there for someone else. He's there for Miguel. So he shares this with Sid. And of course, Sid's like, Pope John Lawrence the first healer of children. I mean, Ed Asner is just having a field day here. Bravo, bravo. Oh my gosh. But I would say in a moment of desperation then, Johnny threatens to bring up dirt about Sid and quote, that little incident with your secretary. I'd hate to start one of those hash brown me too things. Yeah, there's the hash brown reference again. No one corrected him the first time on the hash browns. <laughs> I like hash browns, I do. Oh, it's so funny. But Sid is also not concerned with Johnny. He didn't get to where he's at by being concerned about his reputation. So he's sitting high and mighty. Sal, he's got a butler. Anyone with a butler has few things to be worried about. Yeah. I'm actually fascinated by butlers a bit because as a kid, my mother gave me what was called a silent butler. And it's like this wooden stand and you hang your clothes on it. So just oh, yeah. kind yeah. of... My, my whole life, I'm like, what is a butler? And what the hell does a butler even do? Well, he definitely answers the door uh, in Encino. Yeah. And some drive you around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this scene doesn't go well. Johnny does not get what he's looking for. Or does he, Sal? Well, right before he walks out, he swipes that silver sculpture that was uh, foreshadowed in the beginning of the scene, swipes that silver sculpture, walks right out. Hey, where's the butler? Security, what kind of butler is this? 
He was too slow, Sal. He was shuffling across the floor. Johnny would have been long gone before the butler got there. So now we see Nathaniel with the cash from the day's fundraiser. And there's Hawk and company on their motorcycles. I want to know who decided to leave a teenager on a bicycle and a backpack in charge of $1,000 cash. Who decided that? Sam? Yeah, Sam probably should have taken that money with her. But Nathaniel was closing up shop. He was one of the last people there. And uh, yeah, probably not a good idea. Because this, although it's off camera, Sal, what happens? Well, we see Hawk, Mitch, and a third guy who I don't think we've met yet, third Cobra Kai, come up on motorcycles, accost Nathaniel. Mitch says, nothing like a long day of charity. We'll make sure Miguel knows this is from Cobra Kai. Hawk gets Nathaniel in a chokehold, and they steal the cash from the car wash. Yep. Hang on, Jason. You're Nathaniel. You're a teenager. You were just robbed by three thugs on motorcycles. Why don't you call the police? Why don't you immediately go to the police? They could have got the cops involved. I mean, in Karate Kid 3, Daniel goes to the cops and turns in Mike Barnes because they had torn up Miyagi's little trees. So yeah, we've seen cops involved before, although that was also off camera. He definitely could have. But I guess his first instincts were to well, what is about to transpire is get the troops rallied because they're at war with Cobra Kai, and maybe they wanted to do it in-house. Well, then I got to hand it to Nathaniel because he wants to take it to the streets. That's the only yeah. other thing. If you don't involve <laughs> the police, the well, if you don't involve the police in disputes like this, it goes to the streets. That's the way it works. Yeah. So now we're back at Larusso Auto, and Tom Cole and Anoush are back for the second meeting of the day, and Sal. I don't even understand this meeting because they kicked Cole out already. They have no interest in doing business with him. But yet, here they are again having a second meeting, which could have also just been a phone call if that was even needed. This whole scene, probably unnecessary. Well, what it does is it showcases the LaRussos as pranksters. Let's go back to the Karate Kid. Yeah, Daniel at the Halloween dance. Johnny's in the stall. Oh, yeah. Daniel takes the water hose. Daniel is a prankster, and this scene proves that. In fact, Amanda probably is too, because here's Tom Cole thinking he's going to look at a contract sign. Instead, he flips the pages, and there is a hand drawn with a middle finger giving a big F you to Tom Cole. It's great. Now, I love the delivery. I love that they get a noosh back on their team. That was all part of this play, but it just wasn't necessary. When he spoke to a noosh earlier that day and got the truth, he probably laid his plan on him then. So just come over and we'll make this a go. There's no upside to pissing Cole off because he's got no leverage. He's already played his hand, but it plays out well. I'm just thinking not necessary in real life. Well, the LaRussos have made it very clear to the viewers and to Tom Cole, they are not going to sell to him. True. And now Tom learns that Anoush was the one who told them about his plan with Doyona. That's right. So now Anoush is returning to work at LaRusso Auto. And so they stand there, the three of them, Anoush, Amanda, and Daniel. Tom walks off. Amanda says, this plan better work. Daniel says, it has to. And I love this. Anoush turns to them. He says, this isn't a sure thing. So, so he just quit his job at Tom Colato to work for LaRusso Auto again, and he's Which not is even going certain. Under. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is Anusha taking a chance, but we are now bringing the team back together. Louis back on board and Anusha's back on board. And let me be clear, that's the best part about this whole scene is giving Tom, quote unquote, the middle finger and getting Anush back on board. So for that, I love it. So now we're at the LaRusso residence and Sam answers the door. And at the door, uh, Dimitri, Chris, and a few others, including the redheaded kid from the season three trailer. Remember we talked about that? We're like, who is this kid? Well, he is a new member of Miyagi-Do. And Chris asks, is your dad here? Sam says he's at work. Dimitri says, Cobra Kai took all the money and, and boom, here comes Nathaniel breaking through the group from the rear, straight to the front of the door. Nathaniel steps forward. They kick the fucking shit out of me. Wow. Wow. I'm thinking, is this the first time we've ever heard an F-bomb from anyone on Cobra Kai? Could have been. Could have been. Yeah. From Nathaniel. Who'd have thunk it, huh? Wow. And he looks pretty beat up, Sal. Yeah. His shirt is all ripped up. They roughed him up. They didn't just punch his face a few times. They roughed him up. They tore his shirt. Yeah. He's in bad shape and he's not happy. So now we're at the hospital and Johnny gives a nurse a check. And Sal, this is obviously from the piece of art that he swiped from Sid's house. But what do you think the amount of the check is? You know, it's one thing if you're one of these creeps who steals batteries and catalytic converters. There is a market for that. Obviously, it gets done every day. Where do you sell or unload a piece of expensive art at the pawn shop? Did Johnny sell that piece of art? Did Lyle buy that? Yeah. Where? Who? What? I want answers, Johnny. Who did you sell this piece of art to? I bet you he did go back to Lyle because where else is Johnny going to go? Okay, then how much do you think Lyle would give even for a very expensive piece of art? What's he going to give him? A hundred bucks? I mean, come on. How much do you think that check had to be impressive? That nurse was impressed by that check when Johnny handed it to her. I'm thinking that check must have been at least $1,000 to elicit the response that that nurse gave. A response of surprise, of joy, like, hey, this is so great. Have to be at least $1,000. So I... Do not believe that that Pawn Star owner would give Johnny $1,000 for that piece of art, maybe 100 or two at the most. My initial thoughts were the check was probably for $5,000. Whoa. Thinking that piece of art could have been in the 25K range. However, if Lyle's involved, that changes everything completely. So yeah, I don't know. 2,500. So not sure where it came from, but hey, beautiful gesture. The nurse is impressed. And he's trying to be sneaky and just give it to them to the hospital directly rather than go through Carmen. But yet, who is standing directly behind Johnny? As Johnny's having this interaction with the nurse about the check, and he says, please don't give any information to the family about who gave the check. And the nurse says, fine. Carmen and her mother are right behind Johnny and overhear this. Yep. And then the nurse sees Carmen and the grandmother and says to Miguel's mother, uh, Miguel's surgeon just arrived from the airport. So Carmen says thank you to Johnny and then goes over to talk to the doctor. And as Johnny's about to head out, he's stopped by Miguel's grandmother. Rosa. Rosa. She asked Johnny to pray with them. Yeah. And this is one of those turning point moments because sure, sure we want him to pray with the grandmother and Carmen over Miguel. Sure. But he has an appointment to see his son. Bobby set it up. What are you doing, Johnny? I know, but Rosa also says, Miguel, he needs you. And then asks him to stay and pray. And I guess if Johnny has to decide, 
Yes, Miguel's in a worse place right now than Robbie. I'll be here in the moment with them and then I'll I'll make amends to Robbie. It's a tough call. There's no right answer. If he leaves here, he's in the bad graces of Carmen and Rosa and Miguel, and he's trying to mend that fence. So a tough place for Johnny to be. And while that's going on, we cut back to jail and we see Robbie and Bobby this time as they're waiting for Johnny, who's not coming. Yeah. Robbie says he's not coming. I knew it. Robbie gets up from the table, takes off, leaving Bobby sitting there. And I feel bad for Bobby. I mean, here he is. I think we've all been in those situations where we did a favor for a friend yeah. and then maybe the friend let us down. Hell, I hope that's never happened to me. I hope I never let anyone down. Let me know, Jason. <laughs> Jason I didn't want to say like, anything. So. <laughs> let, let me know if I ever let you down. But yeah, so Bobby basically pulled some strings to make this meeting happen. And then Johnny doesn't show up. And of course, Bobby doesn't get a phone call from Johnny explaining anything. And then Robbie is left brokenhearted, walks out of the room. Uh, Yeah, very painful scene to watch. So now we're at Miyagi-Do Dojo and Samantha is going to lead the troops. Well, Samantha says Cobra Kai never stopped training. We need to catch up. So her adversaries are out there. You know, there's an old saying. I think they use it in fighting or boxing. Uh, They said, while you're sleeping, your opponent is doing push-ups. And that's exactly what's happening here. So Miyagi, though, is trying to figure itself out. Meanwhile, it's full steam ahead for Cobra Kai. That's right. Well, Kreese is at the helm while Johnny and Daniel are scrambling, dealing with other things. So Samantha wants to take the reins and get everyone refocused. So I commend her for her leadership. Yeah. And you know what? This episode proved what I've been thinking for a while. We are seeing a huge arc and evolution of Sam. I think we are probably going to see the greatest, what, momentum and shift in persona in Sam. So so keep an eye out for more coming from Sam. But Nathaniel asks Sam, what if your dad finds out? And she answers, he won't. He's out of town. So I still don't think right now in this moment, even though Sam says he's out of town, I don't think we really know where is Daniel at this moment. We don't know yet. We do not know, but Sal, we're about to find out. So now we see Daniel, and he's in this room. You can't really tell where he's at. He's in a suit, and he's kind of waiting, and someone comes in the room and says, they're ready for you now. So obviously, he's at some sort of meeting, but you see enough going on that, did you kind of pick up on where he was at just by culturally what was going on in the background? Yeah, because you look at the waiting room, you see everybody there appears to be Asian. Daniel's the only Caucasian in the room. Yep. The woman who comes to invite Daniel to the next uh, meeting place gives him a gentle bow. Yep. So we go, uh-huh. Yes. I'm so excited right now, really. I don't want to say it yet, but we're going to find out in two seconds where Daniel is. Because he is not in the valley, Sal. <laughs> but where is he? Well, he's not in Atlanta either. <laughs> no, he is not. Right then, we cut to an exterior of Doyona International. It pans out. We have a beautiful aerial view of Tokyo. Daniel is in Japan. Yes, he is. Oh, my God. I got goosebumps when I said that. Oh, I got goosebumps. Oh, my gosh. Holy cow. Too. Daniel LaRusso is in Japan. What's going to happen? I got to know. And that's the end of the episode. Cobra Kai logo comes on and episode three is done in the books. And Sal, I cannot wait for episode four. Oh my God. Yeah, this is big. This season, you see, you see what's happening in this season? 
They go back into Kreese's life in Vietnam. They're taking Daniel back to Japan. Oh boy, this season is all over the place. Probably my favorite season so far. I mean, you know, season one got us hooked, but season three, oh boy, this is exciting. Yeah, really exciting. I mean, we are getting closer and closer to the halfway point already, and I feel like we just began, but so much has happened. And you and I already know from having seen every episode that we soar to new heights, and we cannot wait to do these subsequent episodes together and share them with all of you. Jason, I just want to make sure everybody knows that this season is so exciting for me. I'm doing something I didn't do on the other two seasons, and that is I'm wa- wearing pants. <laughs> Uh, Yes, very special occasion. I am watching each episode of season three, three times. I have not seen any shows, episodes three times, let alone within a one week period of time. So this is a very special thing happening. Yes, it is. So thank you so much for listening. And please be sure to subscribe to Let's Talk Cobra Kai wherever you get your podcast. You can also really help us by giving the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. And for all you listeners that enjoy sharing your thoughts, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, send us a direct message, or post a comment on our social media, which is at Let's Talk Cobra Kai. We also highly recommend checking out the Let's Talk Movies podcast and visiting JustCuriousMedia.com. No mercy.